Welcome to the Toffee Blues, your source for all things Everton. Welcome to another podcast where we're going to get through loads of content. Of course, we're into the January transfer window and we'll be starting this week's podcast with the reaction to the signing of Vitaly Mikalenko and a little discussion on that. Then we'll be handing over to Connor and Mike from the Unholy Trinity podcast. They're going to be looking into the signing of Nathan Patterson and their reactions to that. Then it's going to be myself and Paul McAllister. We're going to be giving our reaction to the defeat to Brighton. And then we'll be finishing up with myself and Connor looking ahead to the upcoming FA Cup tie with Hull City. So loads to get to. Get straight into it and hand over to the first show, which is the Vitaly Mikalenko signing reaction. Welcome to... Uh, play a focus where we are going to be looking into the reaction to the signing of Vitaly Mikalenko, the new Ukrainian left-back who we've brought in from Dynamo Kiev, came in on New Year's Day, it was announced. Uh, myself and Paul are going to look into this signing. Paul, what's your take on bringing in Mikalenko? I mean, obviously, a lot of it's been overshadowed by the fact that it means that potentially Luka Dean might go, but in terms of Mikalenko, what much you know about him as a player? Uh, not a lot, um, but it is interesting the fact that he's a good age because even if he turns out not to be a whale beater or even of the level that we expect as Evertonians our players to be, there's still a good chance that we could get some money back on him purely because of his age. He's a, he's an established international, isn't he? Which is a good thing. So there'll be clubs around Europe who are aware of him. And apparently there were other clubs that were interested in him as well and have scouted him before us. I've heard United and Liverpool at one point were looking at him. So was Bayern Munich. Now, God knows why they didn't um, make the jump on him. Maybe they decided he wasn't good enough. Maybe they had other targets they preferred. Maybe we just got we've got in there first. You don't know. But the fact that he's so young is a good thing. If he was 25, 26, then I would be thinking, hmm, I'm really not sure about this. Coming from a league like Ukraine and, he, and it's taken him this long to step up, I, then I wouldn't be sure. But the fact that he's only 22 and the fact that he's played quite a few games in his career, I think he's got or is it about 150 senior games under his belt, just at oh, club really, level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broke into the broke into the Euro, yeah, broke into the Dynamo Kiev team very early. I think when he was 17, 18. So even though he's still very young, he's you'd, you'd consider he's quite seasoned. So it's probably time for him, perfect time for him to go and make the step up to a better league, which is exactly what he's done. So we're probably getting him at the right time, but. We've got to put our eyes on him first before we know whether he's going to be able to cut it, whether he's a good enough replacement for Luka Dean or if he's just even good enough to be in the Everton team full stop. But yeah, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with it. I don't really care about the money side of it really because that's not my concern how much money we spend. Um, but he's established international as I talked about. He went to the Euros for Ukraine and, and that was a quite a good tournament for Ukraine. They got through the, knock, the knockout rounds, didn't they? I know they got humbled by England in that 6-0, whatever whatever it was, where Kane scored an hat-trick, I think. Well, uh, the 4-0. Was it 4? Yeah. I, I know we battered them. I know we battered them. Um, 
Mikhailenko played in that game, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, but wasn't you can't Ukraine's players were dead on their feet in that game. They were always going to get tonked by a team that was fresh as a daisy like England were. So you can't really put any blame on Mikhailenko or any of the Ukrainian defence for the way they got battered by England in that Euro game in the summer. But yeah, as I said, he's just he's a very young player who's got experience and sounds like he's hungry because it would have been very easy for him to just stay in his own country in his comfort zone for another two or three years and got a move when he was 25, 26. But looks like he's decided, no, I'm ready to step up now, which is good. Um, you know, it's, it's about time we started making signings of, like you say, that sort of 22, 23 age bracket. I think that, like you say, if it doesn't work out, you do get a bit of a resale value. I think that's like crucial to the way we should be operating as a club. Uh, it's it's a sale that sounds like it's got a plan in mind, which so often isn't the case with us. It sounds like we've bought them and we've already got a plan of when, if things go right, of what we're, who we're eventually going to sell them to. Because as I said, Man United and Liverpool and Bayern were looking at them. Our plan, by the looks of it, looks like, right, we'll get him in here for two, three, four years, however long it is. And if he develops the way we think he's going to develop and he becomes a really good player, we can then sell him on for a profit to one of these clubs that were looking at him and decided not to take the chance on him. Um, at this point when we did you can sell them to the likes of United or a Bayern because they've looked at them before they were clearly interested and maybe the fact his age ended up counting against them maybe they didn't want to jump in with him so early but if he comes here and does a really good job for us then all those clubs who looked at him once before will surely come back and look at him again and they'll be willing to spend the money on him because they know he can cut it in this league if that's the ideal scenario isn't it so a lot of the times we just sign players a lot of times we just sign players and hope for the best don't we because like the likes of a Wobi, the likes of your Gomez's, where if it doesn't work out, then we're just basically stuck with them forever because no one will ever want to come in and take them off us. I think that's it. Like we've got, we've it's obvious it's obvious that that's the blueprint that we should have always been following, and I don't know why it took us this long to like make signings like this. So just not had competent people at the club running the transfers. We had Steve Walsh at one point who just seemed like he pulled names out of a hat, didn't he? Players he signed. Then we had Brands, who we've discussed with him before. We don't know how much influence he did or didn't have, but we know for a fact Mashiri and Bill Kenwright and certain agents who are friends of them have got influence at the club. And it's not in their interest, is it, to develop to develop young players and then sell them on for a big profit to help the club? It's in their interest just to get their cut, isn't it? And you, you can't help the and you can't help the and you can also can't help the fact that people who are just grossly unqualified are making certain decisions, like the likes of Mashiri. Yeah, I think. It's a step in the right direction in terms of, you know, you mentioned they're potentially selling Luca Dean, which is obviously not good for us and because he's been a good servant. But is the time right for Luca Dean to move on anyway with the fact that he is 28? He'll be 29 by the end of this year. It would be. I wouldn't have a problem with him going if we were going to get a big fat profit on the back of it. But how much did we sign him for? 20, 28 million, something like that? Uh, no, 19, 20, I think. It was a really good deal yeah, was, for him. I think, I, think, I think it was over 20, but it wasn't 30. I'll, I'll find out that out now as we're talking, but we're not going to get 40, 50 million for Luca Dean. Uh, because, not because he's not, not necessarily good enough to get us that money, but because Benitez is going about it the complete wrong way. He's frozen them out and made it abundantly clear to everybody who's looking on the outside that we don't want him and we're desperate to get shot of him. That's not what you do when you want to make a profit off a player. So we're probably going to sell him now for a cut price deal just to get him out the door to appease fat man's ego. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if we end up taking a significant loss on Luca Dean when we should be looking to make a profit on him. Even supporters who don't who think he's overrated 
Um, I, even they would agree that if we sold him, we should at least be getting our money back. He's still a French international. He's, sti- um, he's still banging his prime. He's, st- he's not got a bad injury record, has he? And before this, he didn't have any... There was no questions about his attitude. So we should be getting 20-plus million for him still, 30-plus probably for yeah. him. But we're definitely not going to get that now, I don't think, just because Fat Man's held him out to drive for the entire world and made it absolutely clear that he doesn't want him for off-the-pitch reasons. Uh, that's, that's when, you know, obviously, like, we, if if we did sell him for a really good profit and then brought him, you know, Mikhailenko and then a new right-back and another position, maybe even, you'd say yeah. very good business. Or, like you say, it could be that Rafa Benitez has ruined that by putting his ego first, probably, in terms of the, the Luca Dean debacle. Yeah, but even then, Luca Dean shouldn't have been one of the first players out the club that you're looking to make a profit on. Should have been one of the last players because he's still crucial to how we play when we're good. There's players we could have been looking to sell who we could have made a profit on, you'd think, and we'd miss them less. Now, I absolutely love Richarlison. But I think losing with Charleston would be less of a blow to how we play as, as a team, as a unit, than it would be if we lost Luca Dean. I don't want to sell with Charleston at all. But if if you said to me which signing do you think would hurt the team the most if we signed them and then didn't replace them with anyone good, I'd, I'd say probably Luca Dean. Because Richarlison is an off the uh, plays off the some people say he's a centre forward, some people say he's better off the wing. But there's a lot of those duels that you can pick up around Europe, players who are forwards who just need to play at the right manager in the right environment. And when, whilst they might have looked average or slightly above average before, they can just take off, can't they? That was what Richarlison was when he was at Wofford. He was probably a slight above average player who had a lot of potential. And we got him in and we've seen him develop and he's, and he's become an absolute world-class player, in my opinion. It's, we'll have an easier time finding another one of them than we would finding another left-back who can make the contribution that Luca Dean does. I mean, you never know, I think. For me, Luca Dean, obviously, it hasn't worked out for him under Benitez. Like, even when he was playing, it wasn't suiting him. Um, we, signed, but, we signed him for 18 million rising to 20, apparently, but that was pounds, though, so I don't know what that is in euros. I, I, I can't see us getting more than 25 million euros for Luca Dean off any club. I can't, we, we, should be, we should be doing, consider, I think he's good enough to, to merit that a higher fee than that, but we're not going to get that considering what, what the way Benitez has treated him, the way Benitez has just basically held him up in front of the entire, entire world and said, this is a player who's got attitude problems. Someone take him off me, please. Yeah. I mean, I'm also this ridiculous transfer policy, isn't it? But again, we're not like any strangers to that as a club of teams. Mm. Well, we're no strangers to it, but uh, we didn't have a manager before this who just hounded out a player purely because he was putting his ego before the betterment of the team. With that in mind, like it's it's again, it's 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 an it's it's annoying because it spoils what I think in terms of Mikhailenko is good business. I think that is that is, that is decent business that mm. was done there. I think the price is about it's supposed to be about I think it's about seventeen million, is it? Yeah. The, the last example I can think of of a player we had who fell out with uh, who fell out with the manager and ended up having his Everton stay end on a bad note and maybe going a bit before his time was maybe was a distant with um with oh, Martinez. Nice. Yeah I don't and think Distan was like thirty six. Kerman tried his damnness to get rid of the assay and couldn't could he? Um 
but um, Marco Silva, I don't remember him falling out with anyone specifically and then making sure that player was sold. But no, no. I remember Distan, no, Distan fell out with um, Martinez. Martinez, but the difference was Silvan Distan, he probably had another couple of months in him. He was on the way down as a player and he was 35, 36 at the time. Look at him still banging the prime of his career. So what are we forcing him out for now? Like I said, I would not have a problem with it half as much if we were selling him and it was for a massive profit and you think there's so much we can do with that long term. It's worth taking a bit of short term pain because the percent long term we can really build something good off the back of this. We're going to get a fee that is probably going to be able to buy us one extra player. And I don't trust Benitez to, to spend that fee, whatever it is, whether it's 15 million, 20 million pounds, euros, whatever. I don't trust him to come in and buy someone who's going to overall make the team better. Maybe this Michael Enko fella is going to be an absolute whale beater, but do you see, is anyone seriously expecting that? I mean, there's always expected to be a whale beater. I reckon he'll be a player who maybe if you stick to your arm next year, it might be good, but I just don't see how Benitez gets the best out of any player. Yeah, same. So it's just a thing that managers, if you're going to, you've got to pick your battles. If you're going to fall out with players and decide, I'm not having him around this place anymore, I need to get rid of him sharpish and make sure that everyone toes the line. You don't do it with someone who's still in the peak of his career, who the team's a lot worse off for missing. If you're going to do it, do it with a young player who's not really proven anything yet. No one will care if he goes. Or do it with an old player who has had his time and hasn't really got much to offer anymore. Don't do it with someone bang in the middle of the career who's still got loads to offer just because he's had the nerve to say to your face that your tactics are not working. And it's not like your tactics are working and you're thinking, who's this guy telling me that I need to change the way I'm approaching games? I think if you're winning one game in 12 or one game in 10, like it was when when he fell out with him a few weeks ago. I think you've uh, people have got the full right to stand up to you and tell you that you need to look at yourself rather than blaming them all the while. It's, it's one of those. But in terms of like Michalenko, what, what do you think we can expect from him? He's quite a big full-back, isn't he, in terms of profile? He's yeah, he's, he's you know, I looked at, I looked at him... Um, when he was unveiled um, at the weekends, and he reminds me in build a lot of John Stones, but he was quite lanky. And you think, right, he's got to fill out him. So it wouldn't shock me if we don't see much of him between now and the end of the season. I mean, if we sell Dean, then he's going to have to play, isn't he? But it wouldn't shock me if he's still not our first choice left back until next season. Whether for the, the for the second half of this season, we just see him mostly on the bench, even if Dean goes, because I think he's going to need time to beef up and get used to the. The, the speed of the game and obviously get used to the weather and get used to the, the lifestyle and get used to his teammates and I don't know can he, uh, he, he did his interview in Ukrainian didn't he with um, subtitles so I can't imagine he speaks a good deal of English he's going to have to learn that isn't he to communicate because communication's key when you're a defender I don't know anyone else at the club who speaks Ukrainian who can translate for him who's on the pitch do, do you know if any of our players can speak Ukrainian? Don't think so um... Don't think so Avobi doesn't look like he can speak Ukrainian, does he? Neither does Megan Olgate or Michael Keane. Michael Keane could probably barely speak English half the time. Our defence is our defence is is disorganised and all over the place as it is. The last thing you need is throwing in a youngster who can't speak the language in there with them. So I just I think this lad's going to be protected for the first few months and he's going to need to do certain things to make sure that he's given himself the best chance of succeeding when he does eventually get his run in the team such as beefing up, such as learning how to speak English to a good level. Maybe he can, and, and we just haven't seen it yet, but I'm only basing that off the fact that he's unveiling, he didn't speak English in his interview, and he's obviously never played anywhere outside Ukraine, so we just don't know. But 
I want to see the lad, but I want to see the lad at a sensible time and a sensible place. I don't want to put him in in high-pressure games. I, I wouldn't play him against Hull. I know a lot of people are expecting him to play against Hull in the FA Cup, but I definitely wouldn't because that game's got nasty disaster written all over it. If we go out in that game, it's going to be so, so nasty in the away end. And I don't want the lad subjected to that. I don't want him kind of in the in the middle of all the chaos. I'd rather the lad just be protected than sitting, sitting in the stands away from it all. Absolutely, I think. I'm glad for this say he, he wasn't able to play in the Brighton game. Yeah, goodness knows what was going through his head when he was sat in the stand watching. He was probably thinking, what have I signed up for here? Left the old town club. Like, I, I hope he's on a decent wage because to put up with some of the stuff, if he's going to be expected to put up with the stuff we're watching, then he's going to have to be paid a lot of money. I think this is what hurts us most as a club, is that the club is such a circus that it must be off-putting for young players to want to come here, so it's... Oh, oh it will be. It will be. I mean, their agents will try and get them here. If, if they promise the big enough cut of the deal and they're going to get a high wage, their agents will try and tell them that we're going to be the next AC Milan from the 90s. Do you know what I mean? But pl- players are people. At the end of the day, they've got family. They'll have a mum and a dad and friends and family back in Ukraine who are probably looking at Everton thinking, oh my God, I hope our boy's all right going over there. It sounds like an absolute cesspit, the way it's going on. It seems like the fans are, get a, um, are causing near enough riots every time they lose, which is what it feels like to us. It feels like the, the ground's on the verge of mutinying and storming the pitch. That's how angry everyone is. You've got to think that they'll be speaking to them back in Ukraine, thinking you just keep your head down and get stay out of all that, son, because... None of that's your fault, and you don't want to get caught in the crossfire. Well, definitely, but I think it's it's sad. What I mean, like, what I meant by that, what didn't necessarily mean the fans and the atmosphere. I mean, the no, but just this, this just this, it's so toxic, isn't it? It's just such a bad feeling around the place that you don't want it rub. You don't want a, um, a new a new player, especially a young new player, coming into that and having it rub off on them when none of it's their fault because they haven't been here beforehand. Oh. So it's not like they've caused that. It's not like they they've caused any trouble. No, no, and. What I meant by that, though, is that like it's also about our recruitment process and our it doesn't screen to a young player who's about 20, 21 now. Come and hitch your wagon to this, yeah. Yeah, basically. Like, we're not going to get the pick of the 20, 21-year-olds all want to go to a Leicester or a Brighton instead because there's a better track record of development there. Yeah, and just a nicer environment, as I touched upon. So even when things lose, like, Seals seems like everyone's together and everyone's not pointing fingers and everyone's taking collective responsibility, which is the opposite of what's happening here. It just feels like everyone's fighting amongst themselves and there's just fires all over the place. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, no I, I don't want to sound this too depressing. I'm, I'm really hoping that this lad then comes in and smashes it and if we sell Luca Dean, we end up not caring because this lad's just as good, if not better. All we can do is hope, isn't we? It's it's always a difficult one to judge when they're coming from a league like Ukraine because there's some players who come from these lesser leagues like Holland and Portugal and Ukraine and in other places and some of them smash it, like the likes of Bruno Fernandes. And you, for every one of them, though, you'll get someone like Klasan, do you know what I mean? Or Pear Crowles, just players who come in and they just look hopelessly out the depth and you just give up. You've got to give up on them quite quick. I'm hoping that's not the case for this lad and fact that he's played, he's an international footballer, an established international footballer at the age he is, and he's played in big tournaments. I think he played four of Ukraine's five games at the Euros, 
and the fact that he's played in the Champions League as well against some big teams and looks like he's held his own because Dynamo Kiev haven't been on the end of any thumpings in Europe recently. You'd hope that he's a player who's got a lot about him and he's got a good head on his shoulders and he's a, and he's quick to learn, which is the type of player we need. Definitely, I think. I just hope that, like you say, I think he just that he beds himself beds himself in quite well and like doesn't have to put up with nonsense, like you say. Uh, just yeah, it can, like I said it can be very easy for youngsters to just end up coming into a new environment and just losing the way and the red going very quick. It it happened to Adam Hola Luchman, didn't it? It's, I, I would argue it happened somewhat to Sandro. I, I know Sandro ended up not being a very good footballer, but I think Sandro was better than what he showed us at the time he was here. I just think he was in the the wrong the wrong the wrong team, wrong country, just wrong manager, wrong environment. Just everything was wrong with Sandro, and it seemed like everyone just gave up on him after five minutes, didn't it? And I don't want like that scenario happening to this lad or to any other youngster who comes into the team. Same with that right back up in Scotland who it looks like we're going to be signing in the next few days as well. Yeah, well, uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that one as, as well, of course. But for now, obviously, Mikhailenko, I think it, it's it's just a case of seeing him. Hopefully, we'll get to see him make his debut at some stage in the not-too-distant future and fingers crossed for him. It's a, it's one I, of will say, I, will, I will say this. I do hope he grows his hair out a bit and gets a bit of a, de- a better barnet than what he's got because it looks a bit, it looks a bit like default setting do you know when you're creating your own character on like football on FIFA when you're creating your manager well there you go well uh... I mean, it's just it, yeah it's, it's a bit it's a bit basic as a haircut I, I would like him to grow it out and look like a proper scout a bit yeah there we go then yeah, think, so, just some speak, to, speak to Leighton speak, speak to Leighton about it Leighton will give you all the tips you need on how having to be a stylish left back yeah there you go so the most needs to get that number changed to number three next season as well uh yeah, yeah, yeah. he's number nineteen. He's number nineteen. Number nineteen isn't isn't he? Which is not a number that I imagine anyone really grows up dreaming that they're going to wear. And we do need a number number three because we haven't had one since Baines has, has left. I'm surprised Dean's never took it, but I, I do want to see us. I'm I'm an old fashioned. I like I, I like all the good players having numbers one to eleven in that way. Yeah. I know some people Same. are bothered about numbers, but I, I am. I want all our best players to be one to eleven, and I'm hoping he proves himself to be a quality left back and he gets number three. I'm definitely one of them as well. You've got to get it, got to get that right. But anyway, guys, we'll wrap it up there. Um, Vitaly Mikhailenko, new Everton sign, and let us know your opinions on the deal. Is it a good deal? Uh, what does it mean for Luca Dean and whatnot? Let us know your opinions. Drop us a comment. If, you, if you've watched a lot of them over the last few years, then please give us some of your tell, yeah. of them in the comments. Yeah, let us let, let us know. Tell us what we should look out for, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. Um, how you think he'll fit into this Everton team and what his personality is like if anyone knows anything about that what type is he a talker is he quiet is he a player who's got future captain on him written all over him let us know because admittedly we haven't watched a lot of him over the last few years yeah I mean it'd be great to get some more information yeah from people who are more in the know and up to date with Ukrainian football and European football than we are at least we've got some uh, Ukrainian supporters involved as well if we could um... Uh, no, no, they're probably supporting West Ham because of Yarmolenko, aren't they? But I don't blame them considering the great run West Ham are having. I am Connor Williams, uh, joined by Mike from the Unholy Trinity podcast. Uh, and we 
today's video is the transfer reaction to uh, Nathan Patterson from Rangers for about 12 million. Uh, firstly, Mike, how nice is it to finally sign a right back after, what, five years of fans screaming for one? Yeah, it's about time, isn't it? We've, we've been saying for many, many years uh, that we, we need to get somebody in to, to take over from, from Seamus Coleman. Ideally, it would have been a, a few years ago uh, as opposed to, to today, but great to get a, a young lad in, you know, 20 years of age, hardly thought of. Um, certainly, he was he was looked at as, as a, or he's looked at as a really, really great talent going forward and, and a great prospect. And it's good that we've, we've managed to get it over the line. We've, we've been after him for, for quite a while. Certainly, you know, he was heavily linked in the summer. Couldn't do a deal then. Um, obviously, we were in a slightly better financial situation with the outgoing Luca Dean, probably paying for the uh, initial fees of, of Mikolenko and also Patterson. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a statement for me. And it's, I think the, the two signs that we've got in, uh, obviously, pa Patterson's the one today, but the two signs that we've got in, and the right age, the right profile, signs that we should have really have been making over the last few years. Uh, and it's certainly uh, a positive start to the week after after a poor weekend, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's nice that um, we're sort of going for younger, you know, talent that look a bit hungry. Do you think this could be the changing of, of how Everton do their business then? The fact that we're getting players of, like you said, a younger profile uh, instead of players of 29, 30... Um, sort of that ilk. Yeah, hopefully we've passed that baton onto onto Newcastle by by the looks of things. Um, but yeah, I think it's you, you've got to have a mixture, haven't you? You've got to be able to go out and get players with a bit of experience at times. But I think we, we all know we've been guilty of doing it too often and and giving players at the, the the back end of the twenties, early thirties these. Big big contracts, you know, for say three four years at times, and you know it's costing us a hell of a lot of money. And the vast majority of times, those players are, are certainly not performing, uh, and, and we're not getting our value for that money. And you know, we know as a as a business in football, you've got to be able to bring bring players in who then have it have a sell on value. We've been really poor at that, um, and so yeah, hopefully it's a sign of things things to come. And you know, we we've, we've got to operate. With, with that kind of model, we, we've got to be making sure that we can sell players on to, to make money and then make further improvements to the side. We've had a few successes over the years, but not enough and, and nowhere near enough, really. Uh, but it's it's excellent to get to, to, to get him over the line today. Something we, we've needed, he, you know, judging by his first interview, he, the, the kid the kid's hungry to, to succeed. He, he's delighted to be here. He said it's you know one of the easiest decisions he's ever had to make. So all, all signs are positive. Um, and I, th I think, you know, over the next sort of 12, 18 months, he, he's really going to fit in nicely and, and he can learn, you know, use that time as well to learn from, from Seamus Coleman, who's been, been fantastic for the club. Yeah, well, I was going to say, um, obviously this now means Seamus Coleman, uh, prob well, yeah, I think he'll play the first couple of games till Patterson's integrated a little bit better. But um it means he's probably not going to play every game for the next, you know, for the whole rest of the season. Um, do you think we could see Seamus Coleman move into more of a mentoring type thing? Because uh, from what I've read of Patterson, he sounds very similar to Coleman in the fact that they're both good going forward. They like to play one twos, pass and move with the with the winger ahead of them. Um, I did read that he wasn't very good um, trying to beat the man himself, just because he's not physically. Um, strong enough to, you know, shrug them off. 
So he tries to avoid that if possible. But there are a lot of similarities between him and Seamus Coleman in their style of play. Uh, do you think this could be the perfect time for Coleman? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, maybe not not so much this season. I think we're, we're still going to see a fair bit of Seamus Coleman, as you say. It won't be every every game, of course. You know, Patterson's going to get his fair share of chances to to obviously start. Um, but I think yeah, going forward into into the back end of this season and into next season, Seamus Coleman will certainly sort of fall into the to the Leighton Baines role, if you like, when when Leighton was at the back end of his career and Luca Dean came in, that was what Leighton Baines was doing. Um, so I think that's that's natural. Um, and as I say, you know, it, it's clearly important that this this kid learns from Seamus Coleman, as you said. You know, maybe a similar similar kind of uh, kind of profile, if you like, in terms of the actual their game that they like that they like to play. Uh Seamus took took you know quite a while just to get up to speed and you know really make that right back position his own. Um so I ideal for this kid to come in and, and learn from Seamus Coleman and and you know pick his brain and I know he's 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 very very open as as a as a mentor, as a captain to 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 teaching the younger players and and signing and still what what it's what it means to play for the club as well and, and how important it is to to ensure that you you give your all, but I think you know most people that that I've I've spoke to and, and heard from uh, Everton fans are, are delighted with this with this deal. Uh, I think both Rangers and Everton have, have got a good deal out of it. Really, you know, Rangers it's their record record sale, which says it all. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe some may argue we paid a little bit too much. Um, but I think I'd rather have this kind of outlay on a young kid who's who's a prospect and. And he could be go on to be a real, real talent. Uh, it's not as much as a gamble, I don't think, as, as other people maybe maybe make out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think um, at a time as well where it looks like Newcastle are about to pay, in my opinion, a little bit too much for Kieran Trippier, who we were linked with, you know, in the summer, uh, and apparently we were really looking at. I think this is the one I'd much more prefer. Twelve million on a young lad who. Even if it doesn't work out, there's there's time to get some resale value back in him than a 29, 30-year-old that you're paying 25 million for that's probably going to stay at the club till he leaves on a free or if he does go, will go for very, very cheap. Um, this certainly is the ideal type for me uh, in terms of transfers. Um, the, one, the one thing that excites me the most about him as well is, is, um, is that he reminds me of full-backs of a bit like the Moyes era, Apparently, not only is his delivery good, but he's um, a bit tenacious. I have seen him compared to Robertson from Liverpool and the fact that as soon as he loses possession, he's there trying to win it again, getting high up the field. Him alongside Mikolenko, who I've heard is meant to be just as tenacious. It brings a bit of a bite back to the Everton team that I think fans are missing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, look, at, look at Sunday as, a, as another you know recent example. How many times... Did we lose a tackle? Uh, did we go in maybe half-hearted because we were scared of getting getting injured? There was too many of those occasions, and that's only in one game. So if we can get players in who've got that kind of makeup about them, uh, then that's exactly what we need. We, we've we've missed that for for many many years. There's, there's too many players who who don't want to do maybe the the dirtier side of things. Um, and but I think I think certainly the two that have been brought in have definitely got it. Uh, the right, the right profile, the different kind of players, maybe to what we we've had in the last say two or three years, but these these two most definitely, you know, they're going to put a shift in, they're going to work hard for the team, um, and and totally, you know, absolutely ideal in terms of 
what we what we need to bring into the club and, and add to, to what we've got because we've got talent there. You know, there is talent there, but we're underperforming. Make no mistake about it. We, we certainly are. You know, the, the manager's getting a lot of stick and, and rightly so. Um, but we're, we're certainly missing something. You know, important not to put too much on on these two young lads. You know, they, they're just coming in from less competitive league. So let's not let's not you know think they're gonna they're gonna change us overnight. Let's give them the time to bed in and and learn the you know the English the English game and learn what it's about to play in the Premier League. But I think going forward, I think for the for the, the near future and you know maybe two three years time, I think these are these are excellent excellent signings and. Like you said earlier on, signs that we should be making and looking to make going going forward. Yeah, I think it's important, like you said, to um, remember that you know both of them, uh, Mikolenko apparently the Ukrainian league's had a winter break and he's not played for a while, so his fitness will have to get up. Uh, but even then, and uh, Patterson, you know, struggles to into the Rangers team purely on the fact that James Tavernier is, you know, very very good fullback for them. Even under Steven Gerrard, he was this captain, I think, so it was hard to push him out the team. Uh, but I think it is important, like you said, to weigh up that even then, even if they were playing week in, week out, these leagues are, with no disrespect to them, considerably lower quality leagues than the Premier League, for example, where, you know, even your Burnleys and the teams at the bottom have a good standard of football about them. Um, obviously, you know, I think fans will, will wait and give them all the patience in the world. Um, You've obviously mentioned that we think we'll see Seamus Coleman a little bit more this season. When do you think we'll see? Uh, do you think we'll see Patterson regularly in like the cups, moving for obviously not Hull, but moving forward if we pass, or do you think he'll be more of a towards the end of the season we'll see him more regularly? Um, it, it's difficult really to say. I suppose it depends on on you know if we do get through against Hull, and I'm sure he'll be he'll be in the squad. You know if, if he's eligible, I'm sure there'll be no issues there. Um, but it all depends if we do get through who we get next round. Um, I just think as the season goes on, you'll probably get more more of a chance. I mean, we need to get points on the board. Let's get that right, and we, we need to make sure that we, we we ensure our safety because at this moment in time, we're in a little bit of trouble. But I do expect as the season goes on, I, I think you'll get certainly more opportunities. And as we get to the back end of the season, the, the chances are you'll be getting. Uh, more chances to start, and, and you probably see the, the changing of the guard almost at that particular point. And as we start next season, I think you know, we're assuming that he takes to the league okay, he, he's uh, he's dealing with the physical demands absolutely fine as well. Then he, he's going to be starting week in, week out, and and the summer will be a big summer for him. I think to, to really you know go through a pre season with with the team, uh, and then cement his place. In the in the start eleven, the, the same with Mikhailenko. I, I fully expect Ben Godfrey to probably continue at left back, um, and then as as the season goes on, you know Ben Godfrey probably look to go to go back into the middle with probably Michael Keane in the in the shorter term, um, and Mikhailenko will then probably slot him on the left hand side. But um, I just think that he's, they, they've both got a lot to learn. As I say, patience is really really key with the two of them. Um, but you know it, it's certainly certainly. A, Exciting, even though it's it's been a disappointment for us once again. It's certainly, you know, it does get you back in, doesn't it? And uh, we're being talked about again in in the right way. Uh, and and I think we've gone about our business correctly. And it's great to see us do it so early in, in the transfer window as well. Yeah, well, I was going to mention um, mention that obviously both players have been on uh, supposedly been looked at by us for some time. Uh, but 
we were we impressed and a little bit shocked just because it's Everton at how quickly we did get these over the line. Because, uh, you know, we've been linked with players before and then it's took us, you know, ages to get them or we don't get them. But this this felt very efficient by the club. It certainly did. I mean, I think it tells you that there's, there's a lot going on in the background in terms of outgoings as well, to be honest with you. I know we've got probably a little bit of wiggle room because of late sales in the uh, summer transfer window. Obviously, Hannes going when our window were closed, Moise Keane as well. Um, so there's a little bit of wiggle room there for us in a sense. But we know, and the club know, and the chances are it's probably nearly done. Luca Dean's on his way. The, the club are, are you know, assured of, of that transfer fee or, or a big loan fee, whatever it might be, with a, a view to a, for a compulsory purchase in the summer. So we know that's, that's going to happen. The chances are Mason Holgate, another one. Yeri Mina, another one. I think there's a lot of work happening in the background for players actually leaving the club. So it's it allowed us to, to attack the window as opposed to maybe be, be a bit reactive at the back end of a window, which we never like to see. And we've done it too often in the past where we've had to wait. We've had to, or we've made signings on the back of who we've sold and thought, okay, we've got a list of say 10. Who can we try and get? And it's, you know, you end up paying silly money for, for average players. So great to see it. Great to see, obviously, early work done. I probably expect one more to come in, maybe uh, a loan, a loan deal for for someone. There's still there's still a talk around Ross Barkley being linked to the club. Um, someone said he was at a petrol station over the water today. I don't know how much you want to believe of that, but they had that just could could just be Twitter rumours. But I do think one more one more will come in. But I, I fully expect maybe two or three outgoings as well, which I say will allow us to to do a little bit more work. Yeah, I mean. Which position do you think we should um, prioritise now, in your opinion? Obviously, you mentioned Barkley. Um, I, personally, I'm hoping we stay a little bit clearer of that, even for a loan. Um, but what position would you say is probably the one next for us to start aiming for? It all, again, all depends who goes. I mean, if you're looking to lose, yeah, you mean Aaron Mason Holgate in, in the one window, which may happen. You've got to look at a centre-half coming in from somewhere. No, you've got, obviously, Michael Keane, Ben Godfrey, uh, Jared Brantwaite, who's, who's obviously emerging, but again, early days with him, of course. Um, you've got to look maybe at replacing one of them, so maybe one of them will stay. Um, but I think maybe a lot of talk around the number 10, isn't it? Um, I think certainly that the, the sense of the park, you know, yet again, it, when we're playing this two in the middle, we struggle. We just we just can't do it with the two that we've got because you're you're limiting the core eh, for the start. So may, maybe you want, you want to have someone who, who sits alongside Alan, um, a better version of, of Fabian Delft, maybe, to allow the core just to play that little bit further forward and, and be be less restrictive. Because what we were seeing at the start of the season with him, it was really working, whereas he was sort of looking at the manager on Sunday saying, can I go or, or have I got to stay? So um, yeah, maybe, maybe a number 10. Maybe someone a little bit deeper to allow the Corey to play a little bit further forward. That that's that's possible, um, but I think the middle of the park is probably where they're going to be looking uh, for for the remainder of this window. Yeah, um, I, that makes a lot more sense as well. Um, I, I know the only other position that we're supposedly aiming for is a right midfielder, right winger. I don't know if that's more Townsend's injury, you know, and he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. His Christmas post the other day showed him with his, you know, his foot in the boot. Um, do you think right wings? Do you think right wing is slightly more important, or do you think centre mid should be our priority right now? 
think centre-mid over right-wing. I mean, if, if you look at our, our wingers, so to speak, who we've got, because we do like to, they, they like to change sides throughout the game, don't they? If you look at Gordon and Gray on, uh, on Sunday, they, they change quite often. Um, so you've got Gordon, you've got the Mary Gray, you've got Andros Towns, and like you mentioned, you've got Richarlison, who obviously can can play wide. You cannot argue then that Lewis Dobbin could play wide of, of, a, of a front three, if you like. So I wouldn't be looking at wingers, whether it be left or right at this moment in time. I think we can get through to, to the end of the season with what we've got. But I think so, so much comes to our, the centre of the park against us and, and we struggle so much with, with runners all the time that I think we've got to show things up in the middle for me. You know, this five of the back doesn't work. There's no good packing a defence. You've got to pack a midfield. Um, you know, it showed Brighton, Brighton overran us yet again at the weekend. Um, so I think most certainly middle of midfield for me is is priority over over a, a right winger and anywhere else, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think um I think there's a problem that has been crying out for not just Brighton. There's been a couple of games where I think we've been caught with too many too little men in the midfield. Um one thing I'd I've I quite like about both the fullbacks is they bring a bit of pace as well. Um, obviously, you know, Seamus Coleman's lost his pace a while ago and Luca Dean, as good as he is, I, I never see him as a fast player. Fantastic delivery, um, but he's never someone I'd say is pacey. Uh, this idea of having fast fullbacks, um, I quite like. I think it adds to our style of play. Maybe they'll be allowed a little bit more freedom because they've got the legs to get back in time compared to someone like Seamus Coleman, who, you know, if he gets caught halfway up the pitch, he's got to really turn a gear to try and, you know, fight like some most Salah back to position. And um, how exciting is it to have a little bit of pace and how important is it um, to have some pace down those wings? I, I mean, if, if you look at the the wings that we've got now, obviously the Mario Gray is, is really quick. And just sound has got a turn of pace with Charleston's not a slouch. Anthony Gordon has got half decent pace. So to have that pace behind him as well, I think is is really really important. But what, what I would say, if if you had two centre mids, you was you were say sitting in and allowing the Corey to, to push on, like we should do with with Gareth Barry and James McCarthy. When when uh, Common and Baines used to go, the two of them would just slot in. So so that allows them to have a little bit more freedom as well. It's 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 all whether the manager will allow the 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 full backs to to go and express themselves further forward, which is what. Obviously, Luca Dean, that, that, that's been his downfall and, and his the issue that he that he took with the manager is the fact that he was being too too pinned back in, in the system. So it's all whether they're allowed to or whether they have the wing clip, so, so to speak, and have to sit a bit further back. But you'd hope, like you say, they've got the recovery pace and you've got pace in front of them as well. They should be allowed to be getting further forward and, and making things happen in the final in the final third. So, you know, wherever we can get pace in that side. You know, I'm all for it because we, we've been too slow for many, many years. Um, we, we've slightly addressed it with our attacking players. But from a defensive point of view, we, we still, besides Ben Godfrey, we're still, we're still pretty slow when it comes to, to our, our recovery pace. So any, any kind of injection of pace for me is, is certainly, uh, certainly welcome at the club. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think pace is something that we need um, desperately. Like you said, Godfrey has got it in abundance. Um and then after that, our centre back sort of lack it. And um, yeah, Yerry Mina isn't exactly the fastest. But um, I think, you know, it's a very much welcome change. Uh, the other welcome change, and obviously we've mentioned it in sort of the youth of this players, but um, overall, I saw a stat before where it was like 70% of Everton's Premier League goals have been scored by players 25 or under. Uh, and obviously, when you mentioned Bramthwaite before, 
these two younger lads now, uh, Ben Godfrey is another shining example. Dobbin, we've seen. Sims, we've seen. Uh, Onyango, we've seen. There is, um, bear in mind, two years ago, three years ago, you know, our average age of the squad when we had the likes of Schneidlin, I think was bordering 29, 30. Um, you can sort of see now um, a real youth coming out of this side, um, which is quite exciting. Obviously, we say a lot uh, as Everton fans, I've seen a lot of people say, not just with the youth system, but just the fact that, you know, we've lacked a bit of youth, we've lacked signing young players with a bit of hunger. Um, there is that sort of makeup here, like you said, we've got a lot of good players as well, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin are, you know, still young lads as well, even though they've been regulars for the last three years. And um, there is that really good makeup that this team, if managed right, if we can keep key players, could be a team for the next five years. Um, and that, that's surely exciting. Yeah, it's what we've what we've all been wanting. I mean, you know, we're bringing in two lads who, who are in in that under twenty five category. Um, but like you say, there's still a good a good nucleus of younger players there. You know, from Dominic Cavalier, Nitz Allison, the Mari Gray for me. You know, still still a, a young player. You mentioned there, Lewis Dobbin, Anthony Gordon, Ben Godfrey. You know, the list the list goes on. We've got young players there. It's we've seen. The, the reluctance in terms of the manager for actually using youth, so to speak. I mean, obviously, Andy Gordon, you could probably say it's been his breakthrough season this season. Um, ben Godfrey was signed for, for a lot of money, so he was always going to get the nod. The likes of Lewis Dobbin and Ellis Sims aren't really seeing any kind of game time. Tarragon Yango as well. So there's a bit of a reluctance on the manager to actually use the youth. But I think, you know, if, if we're making these these kind of signings now, it does point to, to you know, in the very, very near future that we are going to have, have a bit more emphasis on younger players with with experience around them, players that know the Premier League as well. And, and it does bode well for the future. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't get too, probably too hung up on on the manager and what, he, what he's looking to do at this moment in time because things can change quickly in football and, and he's under a lot of pressure. But I think what, what the... What the message should be is whoever is in charge, it doesn't matter who's in charge, this is our, our policy. This is what we're trying to do. This is our structure. And we're trying to, to, to bring the average age of the squad down, mix it in with experience, and that's our model. And we, we, we're crying for, for that structure. Hopefully this is a sign that we are, we are moving to, to that particular way of working because that, that for me is the most feasible model uh, and also the one that makes the most, the most business sense as well. Yeah. And um, my final question for you, Mike, uh, if you possibly can, I know it's a little bit hard because he's, he's not played, um, but give us your sort of um, rating and sort of you, just a general overall summary for uh, the Patterson deal. Um, it's got to, you know, you're looking at probably seven and a half, eight out, eight out of ten for me in terms of the, the actual deal. But there's still uncertainties, of course. You know, the kids, I think he's played or made 26 appearances for, for Rangers. I think he's played six times for Scotland. Um, so he's he's very, very raw. He's he's a novice in terms of the professional game. Um, but like I said, a lot of clubs were, were looking at him. A lot of clubs wanted him. Everyone are the ones who've, who've stumped the, the, the money up. Um, I know Rangers have put in a, um, a sell-on clause as well. So so they expect him, you know, when he, when he does progress and, and develop, when it comes a time when we look to, to move him on. He's going to go for half decent money by by all accounts, and um, so it's, it's a real, real positive and solid, solid signing. 
difficult to to make a, a great judgment on him because he's he's played so little football and obviously this is the first time in in the Premier League. But I think Everton fans will take to him. You know, our our experience of, of buying players from Rangers has generally been a positive one, whether it be Big Dunk, um, Stephen Naismith, obviously another another example. You know, those kind of players they, they've always fitted in. Uh, the fan the fans are speaking to them. This kid's attitude seems to be spot on. He seems to play with a lot of passion. I know he's coming from his, his boyhood club, but you know he, he spoke really well in his in his first interview. He wants to be here. As I said earlier on, he, he said it was an easy decision for him to come to come to the club because it was obvious that we actually we actually wanted him. You know, so that's always a good start. And and I think you know he's going to be surrounded by by some some real quality mature players who, who've been there, done that. Who, who we can learn from. Um, so I think I think we've got a, we've got a right to be excited by him, but like I said, let's not expect too much too soon because the last thing we want to do is is put too much pressure on on the kids' shoulders and 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 it gets it gets too much. Let him let him develop. Let him let him play his game. Let, let him make mistakes. He's going to make mistakes. Um, but I think I think you know by the time we get to the end of the season, I think we'll, we'll look back on on this, this sign and and see it as a as a, as a bit of a coup and and one who who's certainly going to improve our squad going forward. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I, I'm quite like you said. It's quite an exciting one, and it is hard not to get a bit excited. Uh, but I completely agree. We've just got to be patient with him. Like you said, he's a young lad. He's going to make he's going to make his fair share of mistakes, uh, but hopefully, we'll learn from them and bounce back from them. Uh, and then towards the end of next season, uh, two seasons time, hopefully, he's a regular in this side. to the extra time segment for Everton to Brighton 3. Everton lose another home game, another embarrassing result, another poor performance. Starts to sound a bit like a broken record now, aren't we? Uh, I'm joined by Paul McAllister, getting straight into the nitty-gritty of this one a lot. Went wrong. Always just start with this. I mean, it just seems to go from one it's one thing after another, isn't it? It's, it's very easy to know what went wrong. The manager just played a completely stupid, borderline, negligent team selection, negligent formation, negligent personnel in certain positions, and just negligent game management in, in terms of how he managed the game as it was going along. It, it's just the same old stuff, isn't it, with Benitez? Every week he finds a new way for us to uh, throw more criticism at him. Valid criticism. I know some people um, in the media are turning around and making out like Evertonians are being over the top and are being unfair and we're just looking for things to moan about and we actually enjoy it when the team lose. You know, I think everyone yeah, knows think, what I'm talking about with that. But, you're referring to, yeah. Um, but. Yeah, but it's, yeah, every week Rafa Benitez just finds a way to make Evertonians dislike him even more and not believe in him, even believe in him even less and give people absolutely fair, valid criticism to hit him with. I think the criticism has probably never been more valid than yesterday's game. I think, obviously, there's loads of issues, like the goals we conceded and tactics on poor individual displays, but that team selection was absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it? Like, I mean, there's it, obvi- it's obvious that Luca Dean's obviously fallen out with him and he won't play, but James Coleman left back 
on Joe Kenny on the wing. Was it right wing, right midfield? I don't know. Like you yeah. can barely get it. You're scratching your head just looking at it, aren't you? Like two in the, two in the centre of midfield again. When every time we've done that this season, we've been destroyed in the midfield battle. I can't think of a single game where we played well with just two centre midfielders in there. All our results have come when we played three or when we switched to a three during a game. Even the games that we were behind, that we came in and came back and won in, like Southampton and Burnley and Arsenal, all those games we won ended up winning them because we changed to a three in the middle of the match. Um, start McCollum at left back, mate. I mean, in God's the fact name. that team wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I felt sorry for Coleman in that sense because Coleman has got no business playing at left back. He never has done. I, I don't think he's ever played there. Other than yesterday, apart from his debut, he actually made his debut there, and we got the five 0 off Benfica. Yeah, when he was a kid, when and in, to be fair, in that scenario uh, back then, David Moyes put him there because he just literally didn't have the, man, the men. That was the, he was the only player who could bring on. We had an injury crisis at the time, and he just kind of threw Seamus Coleman on. And I imagine he would have said to him, "Look, don't worry, what happens out there, son? Yeah, and it's I'm not going to hold anything against you. you. I know I'm throwing you in there." The deep end here, just I've been hands are tired, just go out there and do what you can for me. Whereas Benitez specifically chose to put Coleman there over other options. Not only a bona fide left back, one of the best bona fide left backs in Europe, if you use him properly, Luca Dean. All that was, mate, that was that was Benitez, that was Rafa Benitez waving his willy around that. That's all that was was willy waving. That was Rafa Benitez, everyone. that was Rafa Benitez laughing in the faces insane. of our fans. That. Yeah, ego gone mad. Ego been allowed to run wild. Every I know you're all human. I don't care one bit. I know best. I'm going to do whatever I feel like, and there's nothing you can do about it. And just watch me because I know more than all you. Well, clearly you don't, mate. Because the, when you when you take that sort of attitude, you better deliver a result. And you didn't deliver a result. And you didn't even deliver what what could even passes off a performance. You can. So no, that was just literally Rafa Benitez, Mister. Everyone's got to focus on the team and put the team first. That was Rafa Benitez going it. Doing the exact opposite of what he accused Luca Dean of doing, or what he says Luca Dean has to be doing, rather. He said that Luca Dean wasn't putting the team first, and that's why he came onto the, of the lineup the last few weeks. That was Rafa Benitez putting his ego first before anyone and costing the team and the, the supporters of what should have been, I thought, a routine three points. And a much needed three points. Oh, yeah, much needed three points. And because I, I didn't think Brighton were all that good. I thought Brighton was just Brighton. They, they play some pretty stuff, but they're very wasteful. They don't um, they, they don't have much to offer in the final third. They, they can't really rip you open, a defence open, as long as everyone sort of concentrates. They got, two, they got one goal because we switched off. We got another goal from a corner because the defenders don't know what they're doing from zonal marking, and they just got a fair goal from a wonder hit. Didn't it's not like we were absolutely pulled apart and it was... You know, swashbuckling football from them, like you, you'd expect from the likes of Man City or Liverpool, and when we conceded goals against them, it was just bright. It was just Brighton doing what Brighton do. They'll knock the ball around, they'll play some pretty stuff, and if you make it easy for them, they'll put it in the net eventually. And that's what they did. And with that in mind, obviously, you mentioned the third goal was good, but the first two, like some serious errors, where they're like the set pieces up again. Like, he's got to, I think, to be honest, he's got to go on set pieces alone. I think. I, oh yeah, I told the Marco Silva, and he wasn't half as bad a manager as him. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying Marco Silva was amazing. Saying Marco Silva was still twice the manager that Rafa Benitez is. Mark, a lot people had a lot more time for Marco Silva because people genuinely thought Marco Silva 
was doing what he was doing because he genuinely believed it was going to work type thing. People had more time for Silva and didn't hold it against him as much because even though he wasn't good enough to manage Everton and it showed in the end, no one had any doubt that he was trying to do his best for Everton and he was trying to implement things that he thought would benefit Everton. That's not the case with Benitez. Everyone, some people are throwing around the age and shout, so he's doing it on purpose, blah, 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 blah. I don't subscribe to that, but I do believe he's sticking with certain tactics and certain people and certain decisions uh, that he keeps making in the same in the games that are costing us. He keeps doing all that purely to save his own face, save his own ego, because he doesn't want to admit he's wrong. Yeah, just because he doesn't want to hold his hands up and admit he's wrong. And he's done it everywhere he's gone. Well, the second, it's never that... his fault. He, he loves taking the credit and he will not take any of the blame for anything. When it was at Liverpool and he and he went south there, it was all Hicks and Gillette's fault. When it was at uh, when he was at Inter Milan, it was all the players' fault for not listening to him, not uh, for not basic players who just want the treble, not wanting to hear that they're not good enough and they need to try harder. If I was a treble winning player, I wouldn't want to hear that either, mate. So you're stupid. It was Chelsea fans' fault that he, um, it was really toxic at Chelsea. That's what he, turned, he tried, turned around and tried to blame it on Chelsea fans at one point when they went through a bit of a bad run during his interim spell. It's all the fans' fault for being negative. Tried to blame it on the Real Madrid players, again, for not having them because they didn't buy into his stupid ways. The likes of Ronaldo and Benzema and Sergio Ramos, same players who went to the president and said, either kick this fellow out the door or wear hands and transfer requests in. It was all their fault. And again, it was all Mike Ashley's fault, the fact that he couldn't take Newcastle any further than what he did. It's it's yeah. never it's never his fault. It's always someone else. And whenever things go right, it's always him who's going to have all the credit. He's just he's a raging egomaniac. And even if he was a good manager and getting results for him for us, Evertonians don't like people who think that the the big I am. We never have. Even when Cumin was doing well in that initial first season when he got us up to seven, from we we had a couple of good spells under him. We had uh, fans never talked to him even when things were, were good, or what would or not necessarily good, but they weren't terrible. Was still in the top half most of that season. Fans never talked to Kuman either because he had this attitude of looking down his nose at people who disagreed with him and didn't let him have his way. And fans didn't take to him either. And it's the same reason fans got really put off by David Moyes in the final few years because people thought that David Moyes got a bit too comfortable and a bit too set in his ways. Fans got put off by that. We're not going to suffer a manager who is basically thinking that it's having his way or the highway and he's got nothing to back it up with. Yeah. We've had it before, like, even like final year of Roberto Martinez, and you know, sometimes Allardyce I feel like he's well, yeah, I feel like he was treating us fans as idiots, like we didn't have a Allardyce, Allardyce, was lit- Allardyce was literally laughing in the fans' faces, and I don't think he even got Allardyce. It's a, it's a big thing to say that I don't even think Allardyce was this disliked, and Allardyce was literally laughing at us when, when we were booing him off the pitch. Um, when we went to like the likes of Bailey and, and Watford, and his negativity was costing us games, and then as he was getting heckled, people were just. Like uh, I remember, there was what I can't remember which one it was, but he literally walked off towards the tunnel because it was one of these like older stadiums where you don't go down the um, like the tunnels, not a pitch side. It, it was at um, like off in the corner of the ground, and you'd have to walk across the, the pitch in order to get there, and you've got to cross uh, go past all the fans first. And it was after a bad defeat, and Allardyce literally looked at all the fans in the stand and started giggling because yeah. we were that angry, and even. And, uh, that, that tells you something when it's even got we're even more angry at this fella than we were at Allardyce. Honestly, Allardyce did a better job here than this idiot's doing. You, you, you've got to be an absolute flaming arsehole of a person 
to be for Sam Allardyce to beat you in a popularity contest, honestly. And Benitez is that flaming arsehole of a person. Ridiculous. And you know, we'll try and like not completely just stick to bashing Benitez. We'll go on to like some of the players need to be ashamed of themselves as well. Do you know, like between Allardyce, you know, Benitez, Ancelotti, anyone like during the spells, some of these players have let down plenty of managers. And you know, regardless of whether they like the manager or not, still let them up now. Well, yeah, but we've been through this before. The players who just shouldn't be here and they still are here because of mistakes that were made above their level from managers and directors of football and owners. The likes of Holgate and Kenny, I don't know what they're doing in our team in 2022 when they weren't good enough in 2020. The likes of Michael Keane, who has never changed in all the time he's been at Everton. He has a good run of form for a bit and he has a terrible run of form. And for me, the games where he's... he's basically making mistakes and costing us are always going to outnumber the games where he's saving us and winning us points. It's He's always going to be bad more than he's good and we should have been rid of him two years ago but we gave him a new contract I think and he's still here starting games for us. We've got um, Seamus Coleman who is, we've been saying it for a year and a half haven't we that he's passed it and I don't blame him for yesterday. He didn't ask to get played at left back. He, he probably knew himself that he had no business playing at left back but when he, he's a player who isn't good enough to be in the Everton squad anymore, as far as I'm concerned. Never mind the eleven, and never mind the eleven in a false, completely false position. So it's, I don't think the players, any particular player, takes any individual um, blame for what happened yesterday. I, or I don't think we should signal any of them out. If we're going to single anyone out, it's the manager because the players we know they're not good enough, and we know they've got attitude problems. But it wasn't the players picking their own positions yesterday? Um, yesterday, it was all Rafa Benitez. Yeah, I mean, I'm still going to say that some of the players need to take more responsibility, though. I mean, I, I mean, you, you speak about, like, if it's really as dire as it appears to be, you spoke of the likes of Ronaldo and Benzema going to the club president. Should some of our more senior players be doing that here? If it's no. as dire as, no. as it is? No, and I'll tell you why. Because none of those players have achieved anything. Ronaldo, they don't have the credibility, I guess. No, they don't. Exactly, no, they don't. They shouldn't be doing that because, at the end of the day, who the heck are they? They've not won anything for Everton. They've got no right to be puffing their chests out and going into the director of football or the owner and saying, "You have a change this or I'm leaving." It's like, we'll, we'll, we'll leave then. Go on, we won't miss you. We don't know if that's what Luca Dean's done. That's what Benitez is making out like Luca Dean's done. But again, the reason Luca Dean didn't play yesterday was purely because Benitez wanted to show the world how big as Willie is. It's all it is. Like, Ronaldo, yeah. Ronaldo's got when Ronaldo walks in with the trophies he's won and the records he's set and tells you either this changes or I'm off. You, you'd probably do. It's the right thing probably to listen. When Sergio Ramos does that, you're probably best off listening. When Gareth Bale and Benzema do that, who've got loads of trophies and between them, you're probably better off listening. If someone like Michael Keane or I don't know um, a Wobie or Jordan Pitford all walk in and start throwing demands around. It's like, yeah, I'd throw me coffee at them. That's what I mean, I think. And that's the point I'm trying to make, is that obviously Benitez is culpable for a lot of this, but some of the players, I think, the players are letdowns, regardless of whether there's an egomaniac in the dugout. They're letdowns because they're allowed to be letdowns because nothing's expected of them. It does me head in whenever supporters get the blame for why the club's in the state it's in. Oh, the fans are too negative. The atmosphere at Goodison's crap. We're too quick to get on people's back. And 
my my retort to that has always been you try getting up and making noise in the stadium then when you're watching a load of gutless, clueless, rubbish players who don't care and are, and are just bothered about money. You try and get up and chant and chant and sing songs for these players and encourage them when you're seeing people giving away simple five-yard passes, making stupid mistakes, not even looking at the ball half the time or not even paying attention to a runner who's behind them or just standing still and play, playing people on sides constantly which is what all our players tend to do, or missing easy chances, or not even going off redders when you're meant to be a target man, or not even knowing how to cross when you're meant to be a winger, or not even knowing how to make a simple through ball when you're meant to be a playmaker. You try getting up and supporting all this crap and get, getting an atmosphere going in a stadium when you're witnessing that. The players are allowed to be like that because the club itself is like that from the top. We've had this discussion loads of times. Until there's some expectation put on the play, uh, at the top of the club, then there won't be any expectation trickling down on the players. And if there's no expectation trickling down on the players, they're going to be as gutless as they like. And that's the thing. A lot of people saying as we as fans supposed to be responsible for sort of making that happen. But like you say, we don't wield enough influence on the day-to-day. You don't, we're not, we're not like, we're not we can help on a Saturday when we play for 90 minutes. We're not, that's all we can do. If there's one thing you can say about Evertonians, it's that we're not fair weather fans. We're not supporters who only turn up when we're winning. We're selling out every away game we go to, even when they're in the middle of the week at the other end of the country. We're still selling out all our season tickets every every year, even though we're going backwards as a club and achieving absolutely nothing. Do you know what I mean? We're cheering players who haven't got an ounce of technical ability in them, but because they'll work hard, the likes of Niasse, the likes of Strachwalesi, the likes of, um, what what was his name? That's uh, Sidibe. You, you don't have to be a good footballer to get Evertonians to back yet and get behind yet. You've just got to look like you're bothered. We've had some absolutely shocking players come through the doors who didn't get any abuse because people knew they were trying and people knew that they were getting hung out to dry by certain other players who weren't try who weren't helping them on the pitch. It, it just it never it will never hold water with me that argument that the fans play a part in the club's fortunes being really but rubbish. It, it just doesn't. You don't have to do hardly anything to get Evertonians to back you. All you've got to do is, one, look bothered, and two, put a bit of effort in. And if these players aren't even willing to do that, then they're in the wrong profession. Precisely. I mean, I can't put it any better than you've just done there, you know what I mean? I think but, I think you've nailed it there. Like we, we as fans can influence matters a bit on a Saturday. You know, we only play for 90 minutes. But we're not there on the training ground when, you know, it should be higher standards of preparations for games. I don't think that the standards are good we enough can, on the training we can make ground, a bit of no- I don't think. We can make a bit of noise and maybe give you the confidence to try um, a risky pass or have a shot from distance. We can't go out there and make you run around and sweat. We can't go- make you go around and put a tackle in and try and win the ball back with all your, uh, your might. We can't go out there and make you track back and, uh, on a runner when the teams are getting it on the counter. We can't make you go up for an header, that, an header that's vital, whether it's an header in our box or the other box. We can't make you just even turn up because after our players don't, it's not only like they turn up, you're like ghosts, aren't they? You wouldn't even notice that they're not there. Do you know what I mean? Fans can only do so much and I will never blame any supporter who isn't having a whale of a time and isn't eager to stand up and start chanting when they're watching the likes of a Wobi who can't trap a bag of cement when they're watching the likes of Hot Mason Olgate, who's 24, 25, and still plays like he's 15. I won't blame any supporter who gets who won't get up and cheer when Jordan Pickford can't save a long-range shot, it seems, 
I won't blame any supporter who goes mad when players like um, Michael Keane just can't pay attention for more than five seconds to something. Do you know what I mean? It's not the supporters' fault, and it will never ever hold water with me. Evertonians will back the, the will, will get behind our team. We proved that by the way we buy the tickets and we turn up at no matter what stadium it is, no matter what day of the week it is. But we will not put up with shit. Or really? I, I take that back. We will put up with shit as long as we know that shit is trying. Just we will not put up with non with people who make no effort, and rightly so. Oh, absolutely. I think. To be honest, I think we're one of the better fan beaters in terms of sort of levels of patience we've got. You know, we I do, and I, I do because after people go mad saying, "Oh, we're so quick to turn on our players, we've got to make a boo boy out of everyone." It's like imagine any of these players played for the likes of Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich or or um, even teams that aren't winning championships, the likes of Valencia. Valencia in in Spain are notoriously fickle. They'll boo you even if you're not if you're winning games, but you're not playing the style of football they like. They'll boo you in Real Madrid if you're not winning every game four 0 And even then, they still might do it if they don't like the fact that certain players are scoring and not their favourites. Imagine some of these shitbags like um, a Wobi. Imagine he went to go play for some team in Spain as a, like an, um, a Real Sociedad. Do you know what I mean? It's not a team that is typically winning stuff, but they've got a very proud identity. They're very proud of who they are, and they're very very. Uh, they expect people to take their take their club and their well, city to heart. I think Nap- Napoli, Sociedad, the very similar club to us. I think Napoli, even Napoli, Napoli in Italy as well. These are clubs that don't expect to win leagues, don't expect to win trophies every season. All the expect is for players who come there to take the city and the club to heart and put a bit of effort in and not surrender and not just cower away like all these lot do. Imagine you went and go and played for one of them in a in a country where fan violence and fan racism is a lot worse than it is in this country. Imagine you went over there, you wouldn't last two minutes. Putting in with the attitude you've got. Over there, the worst that you get to, the worst that will happen to you is you'll get called a swear word by some old man and you'll just drive home and you can lock and you can forget about it and go back to your mansion. In Italy or Spain, they'll throw stuff at you on the pitch. Yeah, you've got a dead pig thrown on they'll throw stuff at you on the pitch. They'll wait outside at the park the car park for you to drive home after the match. They'll camp outside your house. No, it is. Well, that's what I mean. I think compared to that, obviously, but I even think compared to other English fans, I think we're pretty. I think we're quite tolerant. I think we've put up we're with just, a lot. We're a, we're a very particular fan base. We've got particular things. I don't think there's any fan base in England that's quite like us, or at least not one that I know of. In the sense that we we demand certain things. We put up with certain things. We won't put up with other things, and little things that probably wouldn't wouldn't even be a second thought in other fans' minds can play in our minds for ages. Just we're a very particular fan base, but we're not a hard fan base to win over. I think all you've got to do is just try. Does it just affect us more as fans? I think we're, we're, I know all fans are, but I feel like as a club, we're very dedicated to the club. Like, frustrated. Every every fan's dedicated, but we're we we've got a lot more frustration built up than a lot of other clubs have because a lot of other clubs who we consider are rivals, historical rivals, even if we're not like rivals with them nowadays in terms of we're not like playing them in cup finals or in Europe or anything. Those clubs like your Tottenham's, your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's, your Arsenal's, your United's, they're winning trophies every couple of years or they're having really high league finishes. So. There's still enough there. There's there's some hope for those those supporters. They haven't completely thrown the towel in yet, 
or throwing the toys out the pram. And other clubs who were below us, the likes of West Ham, or I mean below us in terms of just general history, in terms of club size and general pecking order, the likes of your West Ham, your Leicesters, your, um, and maybe your Aston Villas, those clubs haven't experienced any success for a long, long time, especially West Ham and the likes of Leicester. They weren't supporters who grew up winning trophies or are of a certain age where they've got relatives who remember the winning trophies. I can tell them all about it. So just anything to them is a bonus. Whereas Evertonians, if you can't remember, if you're not old enough to remember us winning the trophy, you've probably got a relative or a friend who has, and you've probably watched all the documentaries about it, and you're desperate to have that yourself. So you're not willing to just put your feet up and say, oh, well, if we lost this week, no big deal, because I wasn't expecting anything anyway, like a lot of these other clubs fans do. Yeah, I think another good point to make is for, like, you know, you mentioned Everton. One thing that Everton haven't got that all those other clubs have, the clubs that, you know, say, particularly tend to finish below us, all those sides have been relegated. And while that's a bad thing, they've also achieved the promotion, even if it's not. Uh, even if it's even if they didn't win the title, they've been promoted, they've won a playoff or something. They've had a moment of glory, whether it's a promotion or... You know, like a relic survival on the last day or, or something like or that, yeah. that, or a Johnston paint trophy, just like even anything, like just something to get the fans cheering, even if it's, a, if it's at a much lower level. But, but their fans have had a reality check at some point, they've had they've, they've tasted what it's like to get relegated, they've tasted what it's like to be outside the top flight. They know what it's they're just grateful to be back in the top flight, at least for the first few years that they are back. Do you know what I mean? Evertonians have never been relegated. Or there's no one alive who remembers us getting relegated. You don't know what uh, what that feeling is. So to us, we're still a club that wants that our fan base that looks upwards rather than downwards. But I don't know how much longer that's going to be because we've been going backwards and backwards for so many years now. It's probably going to get to the point where we go back to where we were in the 90s, where we're just grateful to survive every season when we don't look to achieve anything tangible. I think that, to be honest, begins this season. Unless well, it, it, it certainly see, it's a, it certainly seems that way amongst the people, the decision makers at the club. It seems like they're settling for that. Just as long as we don't get relegated, then it's sound. Which is when you think about it, it's utterly pathetic, isn't it? Like when you think yeah, about but, the investment. Yeah, but I don't know what the answer is, mate. I really don't. If I did, then I'd, I'd be on. I'd be running down to Goodison, trying to break the doors in, begging someone to listen to me. If I had the answer. Yeah, make sure that before we finish, was there any positives from the game yesterday? Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon had his best career performance by a mile. He looked every bit a man, I thought. He looked like a play, like a seasoned pro who'd been playing in the Premier League for years. Whereas in other games that he's played for us so far, even the ones where you'd say he did well, he still definitely looked like a youngster who was kind of finding his way and trying to um, compete constantly and and doing a bit and having a bit of an uphill battle at times whereas yesterday he looked he didn't look uncomfortable at any point he didn't he looked like he'd been playing Premier League football for a long time and he wasn't the least bit intimidated or he wasn't the least bit um, over anxious or he wasn't the least bit feeling like he didn't belong which is not always the case with young players his age who haven't got a lot of minutes because if he had all his minutes up for Everton it's nowhere near as many as the likes of Mason Olgate at that age or the likes of um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin or the likes of um, even other players. Like, I think Kenny probably had more minutes. Um, at, how old's Gordon now? 21? 20, I think. 20, 20 21, 21 yeah, year, yeah. Yeah, 20, 21. There's a lot of players who've been at the club 
or are still at the club in the, over the last few years who broke into the team around the same time, at that same age, who ended up probably because of needs must as well. It wasn't like they were good enough. That's why they stayed in the team. It was because there was no one else. But there were players who got more opportunities than he's had. And obviously others didn't take them and didn't develop off them. Whereas Anthony Gordon looks like a player who is developing and getting better with every game he gets. So we just got to hope that he stays in the in the team now, the starting eleven. I say it would keep him in the starting eleven for the foreseeable future and just hope that he keeps improving with every uh, game he gets. Definitely. Yeah, in terms of... We'll wrap it up there. In terms of the overall, it was a very disappointing day. Another, you know, we've got an FA Cup game next and then it's a long wait till the next league game. So how much longer do we give Rafa Benitez? Oh, he's going nowhere, mate. If I had it my way, he'd have, he'd have gone two, three weeks ago. A lot, most people would have had him gone before that, but he's going nowhere, mate. Not to the end of the season, at least. They wouldn't be signing players now. If they, I were making plans for after them, honestly, I, there's managers out there who I'd like us to kind of scope out and maybe see if we can get them to come in in the summer. But I just don't think there's any chance that he's going to go before springtime at the earliest. If we, let's say we get where it's like March, April, and we're still down in 16th, 17th, or God forbid, lower than that in the bottom three, then I think Bashiri's hand would be forced then, and we would just bring in a caretaker to the end of the season and hope that we can get him just a bit of a new manager bounce just to get us away from trouble. But as long as we're still lurking around, as long as we're still at least six, seven, eight points away from the bottom three, he's going nowhere, no matter how grim the football is. Dyer, when you think about it that way, I mean, God forbid. God forbid, mate, God forbid. It's but very... It's just it's reality that people are going to have to get used to. It's until very... we're in that, until we're in absolute dire straits, and by dire straits, I mean like there's only a, a, like a couple of points between us and the relegation teams, and we're near the end of the season, and just every point counts. But basically, then he's not going anywhere. That that would is the only scenario where I see he goes before the end of the season if we're fr- like three, four points off the bottom three with like well five, six games to go, and we just need to win two or three just to be absolutely safe. And we decide that the best way to win those two or three is just by putting an interim in and hoping we get a little bit of a manager bounce. But if, if that doesn't come to pass, if we just trod, trod along and within 12, 13, 14, but we're still seven, eight, nine points away from the bottom three, no matter how grim it is, no matter how many games we lose, we're not going to sack him. Every unit, just... Yeah. Well, yeah, but guys, it's a tough one to take and try and try to like be as at least miserable as possible because you don't want to bring bring people's nice down at the end of the day it is only football no one's died after you but you shouldn't let football results and the way your teams do and like dictate how you feel about your life in general but we've just got to say it as it is haven't we you can't sit here and lie can we but i mean roberto martin has i mean to get him to do the analysis next week if we get beat I've seen people today wanting him brought back, which is just nonsensical. It tells you just how far, how bad it's got, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, to be fair and to be frank. Like, even we, we go back to just playing really boring football and finishing 11th and bottling it, winnable cup semi finals, because it's better than this. Well, it's, it's as bad as it's been for a while. I think, like I say, we're trying to be as articulate as possible. Apologies if we didn't get too deep into the tactics of it there, because. 
it's tough when it's depressing. I think there's a lot of it you block out of your mind, I find, when I've been doing these, I try and forget a lot of it happens. There's no point trying to examine it, is there? Because it was just nonsensical. It was lunacy. You can't, you can't I'm not a doctor. I can't examine someone who's an absolute head case. Just what Rafa Benitez is looking like. There you go. So, on a bombshell, yeah. we'll wrap it up, I think. Welcome to the match preview for our upcoming FA Cup tie against Hull City at Kcon Stadium. Everton going into the third round in what is increasingly looking like a banana skin of a tie, uh, as the old adage goes. Uh, we go into this off the back of a disappointing defeat, a very disappointing defeat to Brighton. I'm joined by Connor. Connor, how are you feeling going into this, mate? Uh, nervous. Nervous. Very nervous. Uh, yeah, very, very nervous. Uh, when when they put it on telly, I was sort of like, maybe, you know, I think that was sort of the indication that other people see this as a banana skin. And then, obviously, I believe Jamie Carragher was in a space saying that that's got banana skin written all over it. Uh, and our form's not improved since. So I'm quite nervous, mate. I think we're going to be out of a cup early again this year. This year. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't bear thinking about, really, does it? I mean, we saw, like, there's a couple of personnel back for the... Brighton game, but it didn't improve the performance. It was a terrible performance. We conceded three at home. You know, it doesn't bode well going to an away ground against the lower league sides with the point to prove. No, it doesn't. And um, I mean, it wasn't just that, you know, Brighton losing at home uh, is bad enough. And obviously, Brighton getting the goals they did. But it was like within five minutes. Um, and I, I noticed a trend the other day on Twitter that, you know, we are much more a second-half team, start to show a little bit more, you know, once we've got a goal behind, we're a very reactionary uh, team. So Hull will be looking at this, and if, if you were Hull, you'd be just saying, hit them early, hit them hard, and then just the Hull could easily grab a goal in the first 20 and then just sit back and just try their best to stop us uh, scoring. And obviously, like you said, there's personnel back, but... Um, Apparently, we've got a few more injuries leading into this game as well. Apparently, DCL's hamstrings being a bit tight again. Um, so, without your tailsman as well, it, I think Hull are going to be a really tough team. Uh, similar to similar to the QPR and Huddersfield games, really. I think they're going to come out at us uh, and we're just going to struggle to break them down once if they get that first goal. Yeah, I mean, that tends to be how it goes, isn't it? It's like a lot of lower league sort of cup upsets go down, like... That sort of playbook that you've just reeled off there—it's it's off often a smash and grab, and you know, given our frailties from set pieces in particular, that makes smashes, smash and grabs a lot more likely. Like you know, these sides often win games from set pieces. Uh, sides with lesser technical ability will win games off set pieces. Uh, so, given how terrible Rafa sets us up for corners, um, you've got a fear for us in that respect. Yeah, it's it's shades of um, silver at Millwall sort of thing where his undoing was set pieces, which was his, one of his major criticisms um, and it wasn't, you know, rectified. And I remember Millwall, you know, every time they got a corner or a free kick, there was always that chance. And uh, under Benitez, we're starting to go the same way where any set piece starts to feel a bit more like a penalty or a free, you know, like a free kick directly on the edge of the box where you're like, you're almost thinking they're definitely going to score from this. Yeah, it, it, it shouldn't be that way. And it's really like, 
it's one of the more simple elements of football to get right as well. That's what the annoying part of it. You know, you can do all your overall habits stuff with defending a set piece is one of the basics of football, I guess. Yeah, and uh, Brighton proved it once again. I don't know what our defenders are doing, but they don't know who they're meant to be marking. Uh, I've seen the one where all three of them were marking, you know, each other pretty much uh, for, for in the Brighton game. And it's just, in the same way, as much as it is on Benitez, that it's the basics and, you know, we should be doing a lot better from it. Again, the players as well, your professional footballers, your experienced professional footballers, I know they might have been asked to do it a little bit differently, but I don't, I don't think he's telling all three of them to mark each other or mark one man. He's probably not said all of you stand in front of Jordan Pickford and mark that one player and get in the way. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's a little bit, as much as I think Raf is setting them up in the wrong way, these are experienced football players. They shouldn't be, you know, dawdling around on a corner. That should be bread and butter to them. Be bread and butter to anyone, really, shouldn't it? You know, even the side, like you say, in the lower league, they're drilled on this. Yeah, I think that's because they purely, as well, because they know that's probably one of their better chances, you know, against the, the top Premier League clubs, as the, obviously the quality depth is there. So they think, you know, an easy, uh, there's, it's the unpredictability of a set piece, isn't there? The ball could scramble. Your strikers missed it. The defenders have missed it trying to clear it. How many times do you see corner goals or free kick goals where it's in the six-yard box, there's players trying to kick it here, there, everywhere. And all it takes is a toe to push it past the keeper. I think it's that, that idea of chaos that it causes and it just sends certain Premier League defenders in a in a ray of just confusion. And our, our defenders, I have no doubt, will fall to the same sort of model. Um, you know, with that in mind, you say, like, I think zonal marking creates more of that chaos that you mentioned that just, it, it only exacerbates it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I never fully have got it. Uh, I didn't get it when Silva was trying to press on with it. Um, apparently, it works. We've not, I've not seen it work at Everton. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't just mark your man. In all honesty, I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't just keep to your man. And then if everybody's got a man, it eliminates, you know, uh, eliminates that chance. But I do agree. I think the zonal marking leaves it open. And I I also don't think we've got the players to be trying zonal marking. I don't think the players in the nicest way are intelligent enough um, yeah. to fight their instincts. Not at all. And I think, like you say, everyone always goes down that sort of very basic uh, analogy of, you know, players can score goals, but zones can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Like, if you, if, you know, if it lands through a zone where nobody's there, including the opposition, it's just going to go straight the way through for a goal kick or a you know a throw in. If if you're not marking your men though, men move as well. And it, you know, I know they're saying mark the zones they're going to attack. But what happens if they don't move and they stay where they are because you're marking a zone instead of them? They don't have to move to those attacking zones. If you've got a six foot five big lad who's just standing there with a powerful head on him, he doesn't have to try and attack any zone. You could just dit it to him and hope that he's got enough neck power to push it past. Exactly. I think it, there's so many flaws in it. And, you know, it's it's also done help. I'm looking at the... It looks as though Hull tend to set up in a three at the back. So that's going to be three big centre-backs to load the area with. Exactly. And and we, as much as we don't do well playing a three-back, we also aren't very good coming across a three-back. Obviously, Brighton was the nearest example of it. But I think Huddersfield was setting out like that as well. And they gave us a good fight before, obviously, you know, before we got through. 
And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think QPR was set up with a three-back slash five-back as well. And that's the other problem with it. If they do get a goal, if it's a three-back, it's going to be a five as soon as they score. And then we're going to really struggle to break down a five-man defence. Absolutely. I think in terms of breaking them down, we'll get into that. Who can you see playing for Everton in the lineup? Obviously, you tend to see a few changes in the third round, but do you reckon we'll uh, see that? I don't know. I, I, he's, um, I mean, obviously there's injuries, so I don't think we'll be seeing t- the likes of Townsend, um, Richarlison, or I don't think we'll see Dominic Calvert-Lewin either, which then I hope means that Ellis Sims or Lewis Dobbin gets the shout ahead of Solomon Rondon. But being a realist, it's probably going to be Rondon stepping in, um, which is a shame because I think the, you know, the two young lads did all right against Chelsea. They didn't get many chances. But they were, you know, the movement was there. They moved more than Rondon, is basically what I'm saying. And that's not to say much. No, no, exactly. But it's a bit more of an improvement. Um, but I think he'll go with Solomon Rondon because he seems to be hell bent on, you know, climbing over and sticking on that hill. Um, I, I think he'll probably play Gordon uh, just because Gordon, I don't think he's got a lot of depth outside the wings. Uh, and Gordon's having a breakout season for him. Uh, which is nice to see. Midfield, I think he's going to play Fabian Delph. I don't think he's going to risk Allen and the Corey. Um, just because we've got, I think we've got Leicester, haven't we, after them? Uh, so I think he's going to play Fabian Delph um, and one of the others, probably the because I think the Corey's probably got the legs to do both. I think Allen uh, is looking a bit tired. Very tired, I think. Yeah, he's looking a bit ragged. Um, I'd like to see Gerard Bramthwaite at centre-back because it's a cup. Um, and I don't want to see Begovic just in case, you know... The off, on the off chance another QPR happens. Yeah, I'd much rather see Jordan Pickford. The goalkeepers don't, you know, don't have to run the lengths of the pitch like the players do, just play Pickford. Yeah, so uh, like what we're basically getting at is in terms of personnel, don't change a lot. I mean, it's it's hard to say that considering we're in such a bad run. There's not much option, is there? No, and I mean, it's pretty obvious we're not going to get the European slots. Um, I, I think we'd be lucky to finish 10th, 12th. That, that'd be, bearing in mind the state that we're in at the minute and our run of form, I think 10th and 12th would be sort of one that you look back on and think, well, it could have been a lot worse. So the Cup's the only thing to give fans a real sort of shout about for this season. Otherwise, it's a write-off again and we go again next September, uh, next, you know, late August, which is another... Uh, depressing sort of way to look at this season already. So I think this is the last chance to give the fans something to really kick up about. Yeah, and even then, like like you say, I think it's it's going to be a tough ask. Even if we do take this hurdle, I think you can't see us really going too far in this cup. Oh, no, no. I mean, I can't see us winning it. But like, if we could give something like a bit like last season, which might be all, you know, if we get to... Uh, as long as we don't go out to a team that's below us, like if it's in the Premier League, then, you know, like your Liverpools or your Cities, that's sort of OK. But if we go out to like a QPR or a Hall um, or, you know, lower, it's sort of, uh, I think that's a real, it's, it's always devastating to lose a cup game and go out of a cup. But to do it to an opponent lesser uh, is just a real kick in the teeth. And it's going to. It's going to be the final nail for a lot of fans. I've seen a lot of people, myself included, I've said it on the channel a couple of times, I've never felt so disengaged watching Everton at times this season or uninterested. Uh, and I've seen a lot of other people on Twitter say it. My dad, who's an Everton fan, says it. 
I think this will be the final nail for a couple of people where they just go, I'm, you know, yeah, I'll come back in the summer or something. I'm not doing it. Or certainly I'm not going to, you know, make an effort to watch it every week and put myself through 90 minutes of dread. Yeah, and it, it, it makes sense when you think about it like that. It's like, what are we worrying ourselves for? You know, exactly like Rafa Benitez doesn't care. You know, no, if he did, no. if you play Luke D. Exactly, and I'm, I'm I'm a little bit concerned that the powers that be above him aren't that fustiva. Otherwise, they'd be putting more of their foot down over certain things. For instance, the Luca Dean stuff, saying play, you know, play our only left back we actually have at the club. Please, instead of playing Seamus Coleman, who's been ragged, like run ragged for like the first half of the season at left back, where he was so inverted, our whole formation down that left hand side was just tucked away. Yeah, it's it's just like so much wrong with what Benitez has been doing lately. I think that line up on Brighton was a massive kick in the teeth to fans. I think, and you know. We, We've just got to hope that because the cup he rotates a few of the underperforming seniors out, maybe like you say, he gives a few of the kids, maybe Sims or Dobbin a go up top. And you know, that might be a little bit of impetus that we don't normally have. I mean, like you said, like we say, Gordon's been doing really well, scored twice on in the Brighton game. And you know, that just a little sort of elements of hope there. I think like the younger lads who did well against Chelsea as well, like Grant Waite. You know, the, the more we see of them, I think there's, there's more for the fans to get behind. Because other than that, there's not much to cheer at the moment. No, and you mentioned, obviously, didn't he, but about the booing of his substitution, you know, for Rondon. And how it was weird that it was booed for bringing on an attacker. And I think he knows what he's doing there. He's trying to, you know, make it out like the fans have the issue. Uh, and I, don't, I think he's very, well, he's not clever because I think most fans have seen through it. But I see what he's tried to do. And it's, it, you know, you try to make it out like it was the fans' problem maybe trying to insinuate would the fans be happy if I didn't bring on a striker. But if we brought on Ellis Sims or Dobbin, like you said, I think that'd get the fans more up for it. Um, just because they've got that little bit of a hunger. I, I don't see much of Solomon Rondon, even the goal he has got for us. It was, I mean, you'd hope most footballers would be able to do that. Um, he just uses, you know, used his weight a little bit, which was nice to see him use his weight and not give away a free kick for a change. Uh, but then even then, it was a bit of, like I said before, the ball bobbling around and he just got a toe on it. You know, most people at that level could, you know, sort of score in the mess that he was in. Yeah, I think it's it's one, but, you know, odds are we'll probably see him at some point in that game and we're just going to have to suck it up because, you know, like he's one of Rafa's little minions in he, so. Yeah, I think you'll, I think you'll start him, in all honesty. It's going to be painful. But, um, yeah, I think personnel-wise, I don't think there'll be too many changes, but I'd like to think it'll be the odd one that'll maybe be a little lift because regardless of whether it was a Premier League or a Cup game, I think it's safe to say the Brighton performance wasn't acceptable. Yeah, and, there's a, you know, there's a couple of people that have been underperforming for a while now that, Somehow still, and like this isn't just that this season, it's been quite a problem for the last couple of Everton seasons where players, you know, there's a couple of players in that squad I look at who I don't think should probably be there anymore. Um, yeah. As in, like, not just this season, a couple of years ago should have gone. But um, you'd hope there's only so long he can do where he's playing the same suspects who cause the same problems uh, before he goes, right, you need to come out. 
yeah, I think it's safe to say, I think we've got to just try and get the right results in this game. I think just like by hook or by crook, like we know the manager doesn't have a clue what he's doing or if he is or what he is doing isn't right or you know some of the personnel that underperforming, like you say, I think we just need to whatever way it is, just get a result and give us as fans a bit of respite as much as the team. Yeah, um, it's really depressing to say because obviously Huttler are in a lower division than us, but really, I mean, we we just need to grind out a win, which is quite a you know sad thing to say about a lesser opponent. But if we just get a goal and grind out a win, just give big. just get a win on the board. Exactly what it is. Um, that's the be all and end all here by Hoho by Croke. It's not going to be pretty, but away games against lower league opposition in the cup never really are spectacles. So, you know, if it doesn't have to be pretty, just get the job done. Exactly. And, and like they're gonna be they're gonna be quite re- you know, hard to break down as it is. I, I don't back, want to it's see gonna it. be a tough ask. Yeah, and I don't want to see us get broken apart, you know, time after time, same mistakes and um, sort of thing. I certainly don't want to see the classic go a goal down, then look like we're bothered. I've seen that away too much. Um, All season, we've seen that. Yeah, it's just too... Even the signs were there from the first game. Of Obviously, that was a bit better because we came back from it. But, you know, the signs have been there all, all season that we're just a reactionary side. Indeed. And I think, obviously, that needs to change. And how confident I am it will, I don't know. It, but I think he does in charge, to be honest with you. But, like I say, it's just a case of get this get through this round by hook or by crook. And yeah, I think for me, it's that's all there is to it. I think we'll finish up here anyway on that note. Uh, what are your predictions for this game? What's your score prediction? I'm going to stick as the optimist because uh, I don't want to go against us. Um, I'm going to go 1-0 to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm going to be as optimistic as I can be, say we'll win 2-1. Yeah, um, but it's not going to be an easy watch, and we'll probably be even when we win, we'll be bite our nails. So you know, it's not going to be yeah. it's not going to be easy by any means. 